Classic Doctor Who, season two, series two, whatever. I go over this every week. I never remember. I'm barely through it. Season. season. It's called a season. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think I'd hold on to it by now after doing this for so long, but, you know, uh, that's that's uh, that's my companion in the TARDIS there, Jimmy McShane. Jimmy, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I am doing all right. Um, curious to talk about this week's. Um, I don't know if I'd say the word excited, but I'm curious. This is a very unusual. Well, because, uh, yeah. you know, uh, we've talked often the um, back and forth um, kind of uh, nature structure of uh, early episodes that go from historical to sci-fi and then back to historical, generally speaking. And this is a sci-fi week. Um, it's the web. I always want to say the webbed planet, but it's the web planet. Uh, web does seem more natural, but yeah, it's it's not. It's the web planet, um, and that's and you know as <laughs> when you watch it, web planet makes sense. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. ran yeah ran from ran in six parts from February thirteenth to March twentieth, nineteen sixty five, getting into the springtime. Um, do you want to give us the brass tacks there, uh, writer, director, producer, all that good stuff? Uh. So, so it's written by Bill Stratton, and this is his only contribution, uh, at least on screen, to Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. He, he does have an unproduced script that eventually got adapted into an audio drama, but as far as on screen, this is his only contribution to the show. Okay. Uh, uh, directed by Richard Martin, who we've talked about before. He did half the Dalek serial in the first episode of Edge of Destruction and also the Dalek Invasion of Earth. So we've already seen him. This is the fourth time he's, he's directed episodes for the show. Or at right. least fourth, fourth time he directed ser- uh, serial. Um, and yeah, I'll just, I'll just go with it. This is by the fan base, generally considered one of the worst serials in classic Doctor Who. If not the worst. Some would say it's the worst. Hmm. Uh, 
how would you feel about it? Uh, I, I didn't like it very much, and I do, I do, I do admit I do come in with a preconceived bias. I've mentioned before that I do enjoy the historical ones much more than the Web Planet ones, and watching this one kind of made me realize part of what it is um, about the historical ones that appeal to me more. Uh, when you imagine uh, classic, I say in uh, air quotes, like 60s sci-fi, uh, to someone who isn't well-versed in them, I mean, what do they imagine? They imagine cheap sets, uh, cheesy dialogue, kind of uncomfortable, awkward movements, maybe. Uh, and I think a good counter to that kind of bias or preconceived notion would be to pop on one of these historical serials uh, of Doctor Who, which generally, I mean, I, I, the budget's the same either way, but they, they seem to make the dollar go farther in um, something like the Aztecs or the, you know, the recently, what we recently covered, the Romans, even something like Edge of Destruction or uh, uh, Marco Polo, another great one. Um, the sets look great. The costumes are uh, very creative and um, fun. Uh, I think that kind of runs counter to the idea of um, you know, 60s black and white, you know, genre TV being kind of clunky. Uh, and the converse of that is that the sci-fi ones feed right into that notion. And uh, I think this is, I think this is probably what people have in mind when they imagine like corny 60s sci-fi TV. Uh, so all that to say, I, I didn't like it very much. I hesitate to write it off completely. And I sort of balk at the idea of it being the worst. Um, I think we struggled. I think we're going to struggle with this one a little bit. But I think we struggled worse with other ones because there is an ambition to it and there is an attempt at a vibe that I can't quite help but admire. But I, <laughs> I didn't like it very much and there was, there's more <laughs> lag time between when we watched it, when I watched it and when we recorded. Um, I'm struggling to remember a lot of what happened in it. Um, so uh, apologies in advance to everyone for a terrible episode. I guess we'll see you next week. But um, <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, uh, it's by and large not one of my favorites at all, but I, I hesitate to dismiss it out of hand entirely. Uh, what did you think? So, yeah, it's, you know, it's not one of my favorites. And I was hoping maybe watching it a second time around, I would maybe enjoy it more. And I didn't really, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but to defend this serial, I, I found a quote from Peter Capaldi. And I don't know if you know this, some people know this. Peter Capaldi uh, played the doctor somewhat recently. So was, this is a, he was cast as the doctor. And shortly after being cast as the doctor, he did an interview with Doctor Who magazine, which is pretty standard uh, when you're the doctor. And he was talking, yeah, and he said, and I quote, I was five when the show started. I don't remember Doctor Who not being a part of my life, and it became a part of growing up, along with the Beatles, National Health Spectacles, and Fog, and it runs deep. It's in my DNA. Uh, People look at them now and, understandably, mock the bargain basement monsters and the accidents and collisions that came from having virtually no time in the studio to shoot fantastically ambitious stories. But those old shows were made to be watched once on a flickering monochrome telly that smelled of valves and furniture polish. In that context, 
They succeeded immeasurably. They were triumphs of imagination. It may surprise you now, but something like the web planet lived powerfully and expansively in my head for decades until the DVDs came out, came along and spoiled the party. <laughs> but I'm glad but I'm glad to say the Monoptra eventually flitted back into my dreams where they belong. That's a that's a that's a lovely quote, and I don't think he's wrong. No, and well obviously, I mean he's just speaking for his but I think he brings a a, a powerful point. And a point which because you look back and now and the first episode of the Wet Planet got 13.5 million viewers. I was stunned it, when I learned this. It was the, it's the most watched episode of the 60s. Right? I mean, this was, <laughs> it, 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 didn't, it didn't keep those ratings out the whole time, but it didn't have a huge decline. Um, but, you know, this is, this is the highest rated serial of the 60s. Is, um, it, was, it was really well liked by kids like Peter Capaldi at the time. And, you know, you, you go back and you watch it in high definition and you're like, what, what was exciting about this? But I think Capaldi, he says it right there, it captured kids' imagination. You know, I mean, they're on this fantastic, I mean, weird planet, uh, you know, with these bug aliens who act completely alien. I mean, they really do. They don't really act human at all. Whether that worked or not, I think we'll get into but you can kind of see, like, when you try to look at it from this quote's perspective, you know, you're not watching high def. You're watching it on a fuzzy, small TV screen, and it's unlike anything you've ever seen before. You know, I do think it, it makes it a little more understandable why it was so popular when it aired. Yeah. Um, it's a strong quote, and it's hard to argue against. Yeah. Uh, again, we are... We're in 2021 as adults, uh, uh, sort of critiquing uh, family television from the 60s. And uh, it kind of sounds to me like, you know, however it comes across now, it, it definitely succeeded in its mission uh, at the time. And it, and it should be noted, contemporary reviews weren't very positive either. So, I mean, there's definitely some flaws with the story that go beyond bad bad production values sure uh um, and so but it was well liked by the viewers at the time for i think the reasons that capaldi was talking about it it lived in their dreams yeah you know you you when you watch the uh, behind the scenes stuff and um actually that's a behind the scenes uh short well, it's not really a short it's like it's like 40 minutes but uh the behind the scenes featurette um was pretty revealing because you know they're, they're so candid on these things like they're not afraid to say when they thought things don't work these are not puff pieces by any stretch of the imagination um but they kind of give the same sentiment they talk about the ambition of the story and the costumes which involve you know essentially people in you know you know people in butterfly suits and people in ant suits and uh you know the kind of the, the scope of the story here at work while also admitting that it doesn't doesn't all come together in a way that was, you know, it, it, it almost needed like twice the budget and like a, twice the uh, production time. I think this actually could have gone from a kind of a uh, disappointing one to a very uh, pretty successful one because you have to admire the attempt at something. Um, the question that I had going into this 
I think I might know the answer, is if you have a series or anything, really, a movie, serial, TV show, that is going shooting for the moon and falls short, does it get penalized for trying to go beyond its scope, or does it get extra points for that? What do you think? I mean, I that is a tough question, right? Do should sh- yeah should we give the web planets credit for trying to do something it couldn't pull off, right? Because it couldn't mm-hmm. pull it off, it could not do what it was trying to do. So, I mean, I mean, on one hand, it's almost like do you give credit to a basketball player to for shooting that half court shot for the buzzer, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, it it didn't matter. Or, but on the other hand, like this isn't a point-based situation. Maybe that's not the best analogy. You know, maybe, maybe, or is this more like a, a, a student who normally gets D's really tries hard and gets a C? It's still not a great grade, but it's an, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Because um, I got to tell you, I have to wonder, again, um, for those just now um, listening to this for the first time, the central conceit is that Jimmy has seen them all. I have seen only up to this serial and no further uh i don't know what comes next but i have to wonder if this represented a flashpoint for the production team going this this didn't work 100 percent the way we got it but we got the ratings we got through it we survived we know we can tell a kind of story like this again i have to wonder if that's altered the scope of the show from here on out um i don't know if do you have any i, I, I know you have insight on that i don't know if you're willing to tell me i don't know if that's going to spoil the fun but i um, think so, I mean, I, I think hmm, I think that's something we should try to look at as we watch the next couple of seasons. Okay. I, okay. I, I, I will accept um, that as an answer. <laughs> because there's a lot that goes into that, and I don't necessarily want to give anything away, I guess. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, but uh, but I do think that's a thread. Like, is the scope expanding? Or maybe, because this was so difficult, maybe they're like, hell no, we're never going to try something like this again. Uh, uh, right? I mean, I mean, it could go either way with, with where things go. Something else that should, that should be noted, um, so the Zarbi, of course, the ant-like aliens in this. Mm-hmm. In this uh, they were heavily marketed. The BBC was really trying to get them, like, Dalek-level, like, you know, the show is constantly trying to find the new monster that's going to be as popular as the Daleks or near popularity as the Daleks, maybe not as popular. You know, they tried it with the Vord in season one as well. Never saw them again. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and now they're trying it with the Zarbi here in season two. Uh, and spoilers, Ryan. You never uh-huh. see them again. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do want to bring this up. So the quality quote I found, you know, I found it from a website, and it's from when he was first cast as a doctor, and the rest of the article's going like, could we see the doctor go back to Vortis again? And, like, <laughs> the article, the guy's, like, convinced himself that, like, okay, for sure, they're going back to Vortis next season. <laughs> it didn't happen. Uh, what, uh, why, why on earth? What was the... Uh... Because this is this is what it is to be a Doctor Who fan. You you like pick your favorite thing from classic Doctor Who that's never coming back. For me, it's the Vord, and then like you convince <laughs> yourself next season it's coming back. Uh, maybe Peter Capaldi was the one who did the interview. <laughs> yeah, he wrote the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's possible. Um, 
Yeah, and look, I'll tell you, um, I will take something like this feeling because I would argue stuff like, um, you know, uh, the majority of an unearthly child um, was probably worse, and that wasn't attempting to do anything um, really. <laughs> uh, so you, you, you know what I mean? Um, I yeah. don't know. I I don't know if there was so yeah, whether there was fallout of this remains to be seen. Um, I suspect since the Zarbi don't show up, um, that, that that may be a sign. Um, but yeah, it was. An oh, I, I yeah, like that. I was just presenting different options, and right. I'll be honest with you: it's the question you pose. It's not something I've thought about before, like the effect this serial might have had on the production. Um, and so I think I think you know. So my answer would be more speculation right now than anything. Okay. Um, and so I think it's a good kind of thread to look at as we go forward. Do the story seem more ambitious? Um, and stuff like that. Because something to keep in mind, too, is I, I, I don't know how, um, I don't know 100% how uh, English TV in the 60s is set up, but I, the, budget, the budget is what the budget is, regardless of um, whether you succeed or fail in what you're trying to do. So it's not like a, well, we'll give you. You know, because it's not advertiser based, or you know, it's, it's not like right, right. It's it's government funded, the BBC, so it's different, definitely different from how it would be done here in America. Yeah, we're supposed uh, to yeah. here now. I mean, one one of the advantage, maybe the only advantage of the um, you know, more advertising based things, they can say, hey, we really believe in you. We will we will up this if if we think that we can get our you know get our get a return. Right, right. So so, so Doctor Who, yeah, Doctor Who is perpetually underfunded. Um, that's just a you know, the production value gets better as time goes on, but it's rarely is it up to par with everything else around it. I see. Okay. Oh. Well, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't bode well for future. Well, uh, but, but, that, but that thing on this. Yes. Uh, what plan is it? But, but I will say, like, you know, I, I think, I think that's, that's led to Doctor Who. It's almost become a strength because then, well, if you can't bring people in with great special effects and spectacle, what do you have? Well, you have story and you have characters and, and stuff like that. And so I think, you know, um, and, it, and it does kind of give Doctor Who a, a B-movie vibe to it, which I think they, uh, you know, uh, which I actually kind of think it's a little bit of a benefit at times, too. Absolutely. Um, well... It's interesting. We're getting ahead of our here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up, uh, you know, if you don't have the, uh, the special effects and the spectacle, what do you have? You have the story and the characters. I do think that's kind of where this falters. And um, I don't think right. that would Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I think it's got the reputation of being such a bad story, not because the, I mean, the, the bad, the overambitious stunts don't help. But when you take those away, what do you have? And in my opinion, you have three episodes worth of plot. Spread over six, and there's the issue we normally have with these. Uh, anything over but, four? Um, yeah, no, normally they'll at least have four, maybe like four and a half episodes of plot, and they're stretching. <laughs> but here, it really feels stretched to me. And that's why like, I worry about um, yeah. four. Yeah. It's why I worry about this episode in particular because I'm I'm really going to be depending on synopsis notes here because there's a, lo- a lot of these episodes ran together for me. I'm going to be honest. Well, yeah, because. I, I'd be like 15 minutes in an episode. I'm like, 
nothing's happened. <laughs> no, I, I would like, like, literally, uh, half my notes are this episode is boring. I don't know. <laughs> I have blah blah exposition as another note. Um, yeah, I didn't take a whole lot of notes on this one because it's just, what do you write? <laughs> yeah, it's just doctors standing around, people just standing around, these weird <laughs> alien butterflies standing around and talking in weird voices and like kissing at each other. Yeah, it's just. Oh, yeah, uh, those grubs. Yeah. Oh, the grubs. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, I do want to give a, a couple of guest actor shout-outs to this one. Okay, yeah. Um, really quickly, and then we'll we'll just jump in. <laughs> All right. Get, get it over with. <laughs> um, uh, Martin Jarvis, who plays Helio, um, and uh, I, I thought was kind of the star. <laughs> I thought he was the star of the special features myself. Um, yeah. Uh, he's a very distinguished character actor from the 60s, 70s, and beyond. Um, very affable, as you may have learned. And I think came away largely with his dignity intact in this one. Uh, won't be his last dalliance with the Doctor. He uh, appears in other um, Doctor Who serials, of which names I don't have, for fear of um, the big S spoilers, my dear boy. But um, he will... He will hey, well, it's pretty common for, I mean, the show goes on for 26 years. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty common for actors to be in multiple episodes, multiple serials over the course of 20, 26 years um, for, you know, for the show. And so he's, he's another one. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't remember which ones he said. I can look it up right now. Um, yeah. If you, uh, if okay. you want to, you go for it. So, oh, he's, uh, in, he's in one in the 70s and one in the 80s. Oh, uh, great. Once so he's for a while, but yeah. Yeah, but he's he's basically never stopped working since he started his career. Um, he's done a ton of voiceover work. Um, people here uh, on this side of the pond, as they say, would, uh, might recognize him from video games such as the Mass Effect series, uh, Spyro the Dragon. Oh. Uh, and he also has a small role in a Wreck It Ralph. Um, as, as like one of those the video game characters, maybe. Yeah, he plays Ralph. No, um, he's oh. one of the um, he's one of the bad guys in the bad guy uh, like uh, uh, rehab, like the kind of the AA. Um, yeah, yeah, I know some. Yeah, yeah, I didn't recognize the name myself, but um, th- there he is. And he currently runs a radio production company with his wife, Rosalind Ayers. Uh, I believe it's Ayers. Uh, Jarvis and Ayers Productions. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Rosalind, Rosalind the Winter is the other person I wanted to uh, give, a, give a shout out to. Um, plays the role of Reston. And uh, she was the pri- principal choreographer for all the uh, Monoptra movements. And I and I and I will say right off the bat, we haven't really gotten into it yet. But um, I don't mind the choreography in isolation. I think um, the way that the Monopoly move is very interesting. Doesn't mean that it works in the context, but I do think that that element is successful. Well, and I, I will say I I'm always interested in your opinions on these things because you do have a, a background in theater and a sure. background in acting, and so I'm always I'm always very curious what. How, what do you think about things like that? Because to me, I didn't really like the choreography of the of the Monoptera. Mono, um, um, I, 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 for lack of a better word, I kind of found it annoying. 
Uh, it is annoying, and it's not varied enough. Uh, what I <laughs> what I liked about it is that it's different than anything we had seen on the show up to this point. It was an interesting element to introduce. I can't even think of what other serial might have needed, like an actual movement choreographer, fight choreography. Sure, that's another thing. The fights in this are very bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. But that's uh, to do the production than anything else. But, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I will say that there is kind of a theater warm-up exercise element <laughs> to that's it. A good, yes, that's a good way to put it, yes. Like, a, be, be the butterfly. We're going to move. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I think if they had varied it up or done it less or made it 15% smaller, I don't know. I, I don't think I would have had enough time to think about it that much. But, um, you know, uh the monopoly well, stand there and they move and they just keep <laughs> moving like that and you, your mind starts to wander and you start thinking about these things. <laughs> well, and, and so that's a good point, but then it, it kind of brings me back, now that you've said that, it brings me back to that Peter Capaldi quote. You know, this was meant for the small screen, very tiny screen, a fuzzy, tiny black and white screen. Maybe that big movement was necessary for that, for that situation, whereas today you know, you can do small little things and they'll be noticed. That's a good point. Um, you know, high definition was not a luxury that any television or production even, had for 99% of the, uh, the history. Or even a big him. screen. Even a big right. screen. You know, I, I grew up with a big screen. You know, my dad made sure we got a big screen so we could watch those 49er games and the, uh, <laughs> right. and, and the biggest screen we could. And so that even that wasn't, I don't quite know when those came about, but they weren't around in the 60s. No, they weren't. So, yeah, I think there's an element of having to uh, play to the rafters, I guess. Uh, sort of maybe an inverse version of that. But, yeah. So, I get it. It was interesting because you just hadn't seen anything quite like it. But it's, 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 you get, like, five episodes of it. You kind of get sick of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, kind of got sick of it after two, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just kind of felt, I, I always kind of feel awkward for actors. Speaking as someone who does, does have a theater background, um, I do feel, I do start kind of feeling bad for actors who have to kind of be silly like this. I think they allude, I think, um, gosh, I think um, they allude to this a little bit in the, um, in the special features of just like how silly they felt and um, they had to take it very seriously because this is a, um, you know, the choreographer um, was serious about what she was doing. Right. Um, and you know that's a paycheck to paycheck. You do what you got to do. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, no, it is. I mean, you know, no, no, no judgment there. You do the best you can, and yeah. You know, it's not an easy role, um, especially because I would argue the the costume designs were actually, I think, they were interesting, but they weren't varied enough. It was next to impossible to tell them apart. When once you got enough of them, yeah, agreed. Like early and on, then, I'm like, okay, this is the one who was with Ian. This is the one who was with Barbara. You can kill them apart. But then once like a whole bunch came in, I was like, I I just I definitely had trouble like keeping track of the names and who everyone was because they just looked so similar. Yeah, that was a struggle for me too, and it's another reason why they all kind of start blending together. Because you're right, there is like there's like three episodes worth of story here, and it's an interesting story. Although I also don't think it's as successful as they were hoping for. 
Um, but there's an there's a germ of an idea there, and uh, it just yeah, it all kind of started mushing together for me. Uh, should we start break, Should we start trying to? Break let's, let's, yeah, a little, yeah, and let's um, let's start breaking down. Yeah, uh, uh, I feel oh. like I'm breaking down a little bit. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. I guess we uh, we'll start at the beginning. A very fine place to start um, with the web planet. That's number one uh, of six. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah. Let, let, okay. So you know, we we start with where the where the last episode ended off. You know, this cliffhanger actually affected the story, unlike the one with the Romans, where the cliffhanger was just there to be a cliffhanger. Uh, and so the the TARDIS is forced to land on a planet by some unknown force and all the power is gone hate to see uh, it yeah and so you know obviously this is a problem they don't want to be stuck on this planet they don't know if it's safe doctor doesn't like that his heart is you know being forced down right uh and so and then uh vicky hears uh a noise that no one else hears a high-pitched noise um and the doctor, you know, the doctor, she can only hear because she's so young and everyone else is losing their hearing about this point, apparently. Huh. Uh, That's how uh, I feel about uh, Machine Gun Kelly, you know? It's a sound uh, uh, people can only, you know, uh, I can't hear because I'm too old, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll cut, we'll cut. Uh, kind, of, <laughs> yeah, kind of like Applejack a little bit. Uh. <laughs> That's very good. Oh, yeah, because they, they, they don't taste like apples. Right. Those com- I haven't seen those commercials in years. Now we're starting to date ourselves a bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a product of the '90s. It still feels current to me, but um, yeah, that's because it's not. Get, it's not. You, you, you get stuck at where you are at nine, and you, you yeah. kind of don't move past it. Um, yeah, we got an ultrasonic noise, and uh, to the show's credit, we learned pretty quickly where it's coming from. Um, there's this giant ant. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of doing this loud beeping noise, which, by the way, the Minotra, uh movement was annoying. I found the, the beeping of the Zarbi very obnoxious oh, for a while. It was, it was terrible. It's uh, like half the whole thing. I would turn down the volume until like it was over. Again, um, you'd think they would have stolen some of the design aesthetic uh, uh, of the um, of the Daleks, where like, yeah, they talk in a monotone, but at least it's like words. <laughs> yeah, they just refused to steal that part. Well, because I think I, I think they were just like they wanted this to be super alien, and there's a reason why most sci-fi don't go this alien. Sure, we're seeing, we're seeing it here. I mean, it's difficult. Um, the best example of a show going super alien. I don't. I don't think you've seen it, but there's an episode of Next Gen. Okay. Uh, where like they they come across a species, and it can because they have the universal translator, and it can translate what they're saying, but the words they're like the what they're saying doesn't make sense to them because their their speech syntax is so different that even the universal tra- translator it translates the words themselves but they can't actually communicate because the syntaxes are so different. Oh, that's interesting. It's actually a great episode. I can't remember what it's called. Um, 
I'm hoping uh, to pick up on my Star Trek here soon, so hopefully I'll come across it sooner rather than later, and uh, I'll tell you what it's called. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, let me let me see let me see if I can Google real quick. Uh, yeah. Darmok, it's Darmok. Darm, okay, I'll write that one down. Yeah, uh, next gen fans will likely recognize that, but no, so but like even that, it's still like the aliens are still kind of humanoid. They're just, I mean, Star Trek aliens are just people with some two prosthetics on their heads. Right. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. It's budget and also it's hard to make something super, super alien work. I guess another example, did you ever see Arrival with Amy Adams? I haven't. Okay. Well, that'd be another Sorry. good example. <laughs> I love that movie. movie. My wife hated it. She didn't hate it. She didn't like it. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, and that's another good example. Humans interacting with an alien species but it's just so alien it's difficult to even like say hello uh, uh, i feel like that's but, very but, like, realistic right but but that's kind of the problem like, it, realistic isn't always super entertaining right i mean <laughs> um how often do you want to watch uh, an episode of doctor who where the doctor can't talk to the alien who's who's on the planet with you know that'd be interesting for about 30 seconds Right, yeah. So, I mean, there's a reason why it's not done. You can kind of see it here, I think, you know. Yeah. There's Arby loud beeping noises, and it's annoying and not interesting. Yeah, which is why they kind of have to um, get around that here in a little bit when they reveal the real big bad of this series. Um, much more humanoid. The anima. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> that was very triggering for me. <laughs> All right. So, right, um, speaking of the Zarbi, they're, uh, they're attacking the TARDIS and making it rock back and forth, and we get one of those great Star Trek-y kind of like, whoa, with the camera moving, <laughs> which is always fun. It is. Um, Doctor's going crazy. He, uh, he takes Ian out to explore the planet, but not before they put on their uh, handy-dandy atmospheric <laughs> density jackets. <laughs> which that was important. No, that was important no for like 30 yeah. seconds. <laughs> Like, well, we, we need this, except we don't. Yeah. Uh, Barbara's taking care of Vicky. Um, I, I will say this was probably my favorite scene in the entire serial in this first episode. The scene between Barbara and Vicky. Oh, that's interesting because I, I, maybe the most memorable moment for me is coming up uh, between uh, the Doctor and Ian, and it's in okay. Um, it does come back around to last last episode but that this is all the highlights for me um they're taking off um oh yeah this is where uh oh that's right this is where bar yeah ex- explain this scene this is where barbara and vicky uh have a chat and uh they kind of tie the last adventure into this one a little bit here um they do well first barbara wants um wants vicky to oh i forgot exactly what it was but she wanted she was kind of using like you know, take uh, take a pill or some or something. I right. Forgot exactly what it was, but like, Vicky was like, "No, I'm not gonna do that." What do you want to like bloodlet me next? Like she's like, like the, the the whole idea of like what we do modern for medicine is barbaric to Vicky. You That's know? right. Yeah, I love this. And they talk about schooling and and you know, Vicky learned school in like a week. Uh, they just input it into her brain and then they start talking about the previous adventure and Barbara mentions 
she got the her bracelet from Nero and Vicky was like, Oh, I didn't know you were in Rome. Uh and so they, they start kinda they, they they finally revealed that uh you know Barbara was was in Rome in the last adventure. So I thought that was it was a nice nice scene between the, the two characters and it was just I don't know, it was just really well well written, I thought. Yeah, we don't get enough of these moments in this in this run of episodes. And um yeah, it kinda puts a nice little button on uh the la- it, it is kind of feel like a nice little coda to uh, the the Romans arc. Um, <laughs> and I don't end without them ever knowing that they were ever in the same space at the same time. <laughs> and I don't I don't know this for a fact, but you know we talk about what does the script editor do? One of the things he does is edits the scripts to make them flow together. This scene feels, at least in part, like it was probably written by Dennis Spooner. I don't know this for a fact. I'm just speculating. But I don't believe it. Yeah, that's what the scene, you know, because it, it didn't necessarily have to be there, but it, it added a lot. And, um, you know, it, it's Bill Stratton, when he worked on the script, he didn't know anything about the Romans that came before it. Um, and so that's also why it would make sense to me that Dennis Spooner was the one who added that little bit to it. Yeah, as much as as much as these early episodes can kind of um, you know tie you know the last adventure to the current one, I think the better to kind of make it feel like a continuous series, even though it's kind of structured as a series of pods, really. Um, so out on the planet, Ian and the Doctor, there's a lot, whole whole bunch of stuff going on here, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> echo, their echoes seem to be going going nuts. Uh, pen, the, the pen in Ian's pocket is disappearing into thin air. Um, Ian, Ian's a little jittery. The doctor, in his infinite kind of curiosity, um, I think the only reason, you know, uh, if we feel like we're being watched, the only way to figure out if we are is to <laughs> keep looking, which feels very reckless, but very in character. Right. Um, so back on the TARDIS, there's other weird things going on, isn't there? Well, yeah, like, like Barbara, this is where, like, Barbara's arm is, like, leading her. Yeah. Around. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, I kind of like this as a visual, and uh, Jacqueline Hill sells it. Um, it. It comes off far less silly than it could have. Yeah, I agree. And uh, just, this, this is the scene that I liked. Um, they find this pyramid with, like, this pool in front of it. And uh, Ian's like, oh, cool, pool of water. Um <laughs> Which, about to watch it. I mean, how long he's been traveling with the doctor for? Come on, Ian. <laughs> no, it's it's Mountain Spring. This is this should be fine. <laughs> the doctor says, "Let's think about this for a second. And asks the um, he asks to borrow uh, Ian's tie, which t- ends up being from his school. Which, um, you know, <laughs> it kind of reveals this interesting side to Ian's character that you don't get much of this kind of uh, pride in his upbringing and his past. He's like, this is my Coal Hill tie. You better be careful with it. <laughs> um, which I don't know. I kind of like. It's not quite vanity. Um, it's just kind of like, it's, it's, this is my stuff. Um, you know, be mindful of it. Um, which makes it all the funnier when he ends up dipping it in this um, pool of acid. <laughs> and completely ruins the tie. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's totally gone. Um, so they decide maybe this is a good time to go back. <laughs> um, but uh, Ian sees some sort of light uh, in the pool. 
and um, this causes the ant to back off. Right, because there's an ant that's kind of yeah. following them, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, back in the TARDIS, uh, Barbara's arm is uh, going crazy again. I see. I thought I thought before she had um, taken off, but um, no, this no, is not yet. It happens. There's a like, second run, and then it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, she gets dragged out um, by some mysterious force, dragging her by the arm. Um, that. A very obnoxious beeping wakes up Vicky, which I don't blame her for <laughs> at all. You can't put on snooze, yeah. Yeah, you can't know. Yeah, there's no there's no mute button on this one. And um, as she enters the console room to go out after uh, Barbara, she loses control of her limbs entirely, which seems uh, very bad. But not as bad as Dr. and Ian have it, who are now in this net of webs. <laughs> or Ian is, anyway. Ian is, yeah. Um, and Ian wants the doctor to go back and help Vicky, uh, but there's a problem there. Uh, and what's the problem? Well, of course, as the as he approaches the TARDIS, it disappears. Not great. Not great. Uh, I will say, like the TARDIS disappearing is a pretty solid cliffhanger. I think. Um, yeah, I like I like this, and I also kind of liked how it's resolved. If that's if that's the way to put it. Um, I, I like the I like the ultimate fate of the TARDIS at the beginning of the next episode. Agreed. In fact, uh, the the only note I have for episode two is cliffhangers had lame resolutions except for the missing TARDIS. Oh, interesting. See, this is this is why we do the show. <laughs> we just we we just get it, man. And honestly, that's all I wrote. <laughs> that's all I wrote down for the second episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you. We're, we're in more dangerous territory than um, oh, the Doctor and Ian, my dear boy. Uh, we're just to episode two, which is just called The Zarby, which I think is mysterious enough. Yeah, especially because it doesn't mean anything to you at this point, right? Yeah, not at all. Um, they figure out pretty quickly, Doctor and Ian. Ian's out of his, um, out of yeah. his web net. <laughs> Ian, he's just on the ground. Like, Yeah, they just totally that... ignore this. Oh, Oh, yeah, by the way, I think we missed... Uh, Barbara was, like, walking towards the pool of acid last time we saw her. Oh, as yeah, well. that's right. That was also uh, solid and also gets dropped. And also, yeah, it's also, like... It's just, like, the unseen force that was leading her to the acid decides not to. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good cliffhanger. You're right. But um, I will say the one part about the TARDIS... The, the one part that does work is about the TARDIS. Um, they learn pretty quickly. Right. There's all these ridges uh, on the ground, and they figure... Uh, the TARDIS is being dragged away. Uh, and indeed it is in a kind of a cool concept. Um, uh, now I don't I don't remember. Um, I, I remember it being literally dragged by the ants. Yes, it was being dragged by the ants. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, which ants do that, yeah. So. Yeah, it feels ant-like. They don't play it. Okay, <laughs> this is... We're, mm, they don't play enough <laughs> with the... They don't play enough with the animal nature of this. Um really um they kind of do with the beeping uh of the ants although it's kind of reductive they could have found other things <laughs> to make them kind of animalistic i don't know that the uh, monopter really act like butterflies and i don't know it's just the, the, the animals they chose seem kind of at random i don't know the, well, i don't know i don't know ants and butterflies to be natural enemies <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think so uh, um Spiders, 
spiders and butterflies. If spiders and bees, I think, would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I know I'm stepping on the reveal of the Monoptera here, but it just occurred to me, it's another thing that doesn't, that something didn't gel. Is it just, I, why, why ants and why, why butterflies? Were they, were they thinking, co- were they thinking costuming? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know because, you know, it goes back to the script. Why did, why did Bill Strudden choose ants and butterflies? Maybe he didn't. Maybe he had different animals at first. But when they were going through the script, they're like, okay, we can't pull this off. Let's do ones that we can. Or maybe Bill Strudden really liked ants and butterflies, and that's why he went with them. Maybe he thought they were two very common. I, if insects are iconic, they're iconic insects. Um, or like I said, maybe, maybe it was purely budgetary. Maybe the script called for something different. I don't actually know. That's okay. Um, it doesn't matter because the, the Monoptera have revealed themselves here. Um, Right, they've kidnapped Barbara at yeah, this point. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> now she's just in a cave. Um, <clears throat> uh, they do take off the bracelet that uh, Barbara has for that in the acid, and that seems to wake her from her trance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Vicky's using the, the, the scanner of the TARDIS to figure out what's going on. Uh, this kind of shows like a kind of cool reveal uh, on, the, um, on the fuzzy screen. She kind of sees... Uh, these uh, these ant creatures that have been plaguing them for the last episode and a half, and they're dragging it with their minds. That's what it was. Um, they're both they weren't physically dragging it; they were using their um... right, right, right. Yeah, which is, again, good visual. This is a good moment. Nice, creepy. Um, <laughs> and now we go back to Ian and the doctor. Uh, and, uh, and the, doctor, the doctor kind of puts together what's going on a little bit here. Right. And so they, they get captured by the Zarbi and doctor doesn't want to fight them because he knows they, they, um, you know, they have his TARDIS and stuff like that. And so, you know, he, he figures they'll take him back to it and to make where Vicky is, which is what she, what they do, you know, eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and once, once, and then we go back to the TARDIS. And that's where, you know, the TARDIS is stopped once it goes into their den. So now it's in like a cave thing. And you know, Vicky comes out and, you know, there's no Zarbi around. She starts kind of looking around, uh, which is, of course, a mistake because then immediately as she steps out, she <laughs> is captured by the Zarbi. Uh, stay in the magic box. <laughs> Um, yeah, there, there seems to be no advantage here to uh, going outside. You've already, what, what's to what's to what's to look at? You already you you already know you already saw them. There's nothing to discover here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Future but she yes, yeah, but she's soon. You know, this is her second adventure, first time on. You know, going to an alien planet with them. She's still learning. She's a rookie, so you know. That's, that's fair. Yeah, it happens. You hit the rookie yeah, wall. Yeah, yes. Uh, we have soon enough. Ian and the Doctor join them, and you know the Doctor. He's letting them know they're not allowed on his ship. Yeah, he, he seems very concerned by this. And I will yeah. say um, earlier, um, I don't know if we missed it. Um, the Doctor, uh, they they. Uh, they, they they find a uh, chrysalis. And the doctor mm, I think we did miss it. Yeah. Yeah, but really quickly, um, 
the doctor because he's been around. He's been around the block. This is not his first rodeo. He kind of puts together that um, they're amongst the Monoptera species, which means that they must be on the planet Vortis in the Isop galaxy, which uh, didn't mean anything to me, but um, this felt like a uh, this felt like a satisfying revelation for the doctor. And um, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Whatever makes him happy, I say. Um, but yeah, so now everyone's everyone's together except for Barbara, who's trying to escape. <laughs> and um, so she's with Monoptera. They're thinking about killing her because they don't know if they can trust her. Um, and this is where we kind of get some exposition about the Zarbi and the Amethyst and, and kind of what's going on. And of course, <clears throat> in the middle of this exposition, there's a big attack by the Zarbi. Yes, that's right. Um, oh, and, 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 uh, this is where we learn about the crater of needles, right? right? <laughs> right. This, is, this is where, um, so I think Barbara, they put a harness around their neck and take them to the crater of needles. Yeah. The crater of needles sounds like, uh, one of the episodes of, uh, Flash Gordon to me. It does. Yeah. Kind of a, it was kind of a Flash Gordon vibe to this one a little bit. A little bit. I could see him befriending like a giant ant. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a um, yeah, there's an attack, and uh, Barbara's leading the attack, which is surprising. But she has a uh, another kind of uh, right. harness on her head um, that right. seems to be controlling being, her. Yeah, being controlled. So it kind of makes you think. Well, maybe the Monopsis should have killed her. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not being serious. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. She heard what you said. <laughs> uh, but yeah, or at least they shouldn't have. They should have been maybe nicer to her. Um, yeah, agreed. But because you know the reason they were attacked, they let her go, and she was captured by Zarbi again, and you know Zomba, you know, uh, kind of telepathically made to do things by those harnesses. That's another exhausting part of this um, series. It's just the Zarbi or the Monoptera just kind of just kind of stealing our heroes back and forth. It feels like yeah. a lot. Um, so this is the, certainly the first uh, first of many instances of that. So yeah, so they learn, you know, the Monoptera, one of the Monoptera kind of pulls aside and takes the uh, harness off of Barbara. This is where we learn about the Crater of Needles, which is uh, basically a forced labor <sighs> camp. Because the Zarbi just, uh, Zarbi appeared right. all like that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then... Back in the den with the doctor. Yeah. Uh, doctor's trying to talk to the Zarbi. And then suddenly an alarm sounds and a cylinder falls on his head. Uh, and the doctor seems like paralyzed. And the cylinder is saying, uh, why do you come now? And that's, that's how the episode ends. Yeah. The episode kind of just stops here. Um, I do know yeah. kind of in terms of craft, like what, why this could have been a cliffhanger, but it feels like I just kind of ran out of time and <laughs> the episode ended to me. Um, but I do like, I do like the voice of the animus. I will say this. There's a pause. I think uh, the woman who does it does a very good job. I agree. I agree. Um, that's, that's, that's my only, <laughs> that's my only kind of positive note. <laughs> uh, it brings us to episode three, escaped to danger, escape to danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather. Um, and so it should be noted, uh, Jacqueline Hill was on holiday for this episode, and Barbara was thusly 
uh, written out of it and not included in it. Yeah, I did notice that, and I, I meant to ask you if um, you know what the deal was there, and um, oh, that answers my question. Well, yeah, well, because we talked about this last season a little bit too. You know, this is a ridiculously long production schedule. Right. I mean, they're 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 filming uh, a, a new and intense play every week, pretty much for almost the entire year. They really they only get like a month, a month and a half off. So yeah, every so often the actors will say, "I need a break." Uh, and they just won't be in the episode and we saw that a lot towards the end of the second half of season one I don't quite remember if it happens again obviously it happened here in season two I don't quite remember if it happens where like every cast member gets a week off uh-huh. uh, in the second half of the season obviously we'll see as we go on uh, yeah, yeah this, that's is, what's going on here. this is the only one I've noticed so far um, and again I think I think with a six-episode series, it might be the one advantage is it's easier to hide one of your principles for a week. Um, kind of harder to do with Agreed. a tighter four-episode s- story. Um, True. But you, but you notice. Um, you notice when she's not around. Um, yeah, you Agreed. Yeah. She's a pretty good character, yeah. Yeah. So we're back to the disembodied voice. Um, uh, we, we know what the voice is. We don't know that. We don't. We we are not supposed to know at this point. I almost said who it was. It's the um, animus, of course, but we don't know that yet. And um, kind of being pretty um, being pretty brusque with the good doctor here. Uh, kind of assuming um, he's fighting um, on the side of the Monoptera and uh, wants to blow up the TARDIS, doesn't she? She does. Um, Vicky comes to the rescue right in the right in time, fixes the fluid link or whatever, or the lithium crystal. She accidentally, whatever of course, yeah. if you recall, it was the fluid link and the story, the Daleks. Which, That's right. Which the doctor took out saying the TARDIS can't work without the fluid link. Um, <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, yeah, Vicky. So, so a small little, uh, small little piece of continuity, I guess, or at least a callback. I like that. Again, script editing. Yeah. Kind of putting everything together. So the mm-hmm. shields are up. Um, the laser, it does nothing. And the doctor's kind of able to um, start negotiating with this voice a little bit, saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not really with the Monoptera. I have access to the stars. I can help you. If, um, you know, you'll free my, uh, free my friends and tell me where Barbara is. Um, he refers to as the Queen Ant, which I didn't remember. Um, I don't think he does it very often. Yeah. No, but it's a it's a good little detail. Um, mm-hmm. And the voice points into the creator of needles, so uh, that's where they have to start heading to. <laughs> All right. So uh, something I will say, something I did like about the serial was was the interactions from the Doctor and the Animus. Agreed. Um, it was as the better the best part I thought of. Uh, of the of the plotting, in my opinion. Well, this whole this whole serial kind of leads. It does put the doctor in kind of a good advantage for his character, that of like the negotiator, right? And kind of like the trickster and, and the trickster, yeah. yeah. And um, again, we're jumping a couple episodes ahead. It kind of felt like this was it was leading to like a grand finale, kind of on par with these kind of conversations he's having with the disembodied voice. And it just doesn't happen. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, again, just little tweaks here and there. This could have been pretty strong. 
Um, but yeah, yeah Ian no. the doctor and the TARDIS because they wouldn't let Vicky go in, and of course the doctor hatches a plan with Ian, and just basically like, I'll stay here and like stall. You escape and find Barbara in the Crater of Needle. Basically. Right. Which kind of gets us, gets everyone kind of in different spots now. Um, it keeps the right. doctor with the, with the animus. It kind of solves the problem of the no barber for this week. Because um, there's, there's no need. Ian can just spend the whole uh, episode uh, trying to find her, uh, which he does. Right. And it will, um, of course, yeah, the, 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 you know, so they kind of go in. He's trying to escape. He's sneaking around corridors, trying to get past the Zarbi, running from the Zarbi, getting caught in a web. You know, and there's a whole sequence where Ian's run away, and then he gets finally gets saved from a uh, from a Noptra, um, who they and they hide together. Yeah, so he's kind of taking over like the uh, the barber role from last week a little bit. He paired up with another Noptra who is going to uh, give a massive uh, uh, info dump to here. Uh, in a little bit. <laughs> but not before we learn something kind of interesting about the Zarbi. Um, uh, you know, Ian's escape is kind of um, uh, rankled um, this voice mightily and um, starting, to, um, starting to lose faith in the, um, you know, the, uh, the honesty uh, the, um, of our, of our uh, good doctor and his companions that are left over there. Uh, the doctor uh, gets a message from the Monoptera saying that they're over the crater of needles. The doctor decides not to pass this along. And this is where we've learned something kind of interesting. Um, Vicky comes in with a piece of equipment, but there is no equipment in the box. Uh, instead, there's a spider. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like there's probably a, a cleaner way to have introduced the spider, but um, yeah. that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> wrong box. These doctors had Spiders everywhere for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you <laughs> foolish girl, you uh, well, picked up the spider box. Hmm? I mean, and this isn't something they were thinking about when they wrote it. But he was just on holiday for a month in Rome. He wasn't taking care of spiders. I mean, <laughs> yeah, wait, Rome is spider. yeah. And so, uh, but it's whatever. And it didn't make any sense that Vicky grabbed a spider box. Yeah, you would think that you could have just found one on the planet. But um, I guess that wouldn't make any sense because it turns out Zarbi are afraid of spiders. And you know what? I get that. It's okay. Um, <laughs> normalize being scared of spiders. <laughs> uh, uh, that's really, really brave of you, Ryan. Yeah, you know what? Uh, yeah. Any spider listeners right now, uh, you know what? Don't download this episode. We don't want you. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, we'll edit this part out too. Um, yeah, I don't want to lose our um, demographic here. Our spider, yeah, our spider fan base. I think we're exclusively listened to by household insects. I think. Um, <laughs> so I should probably watch what I do here. Very it's underrepresented great. in the uh, Doctor Who fan base. I would. Say. Uh, I think so. <laughs> and we're here to we're here to bridge that gap. We get this big info dump here from um, Preston, who is the um, choreographer of the piece. Um, in real and life. And the one with Ian, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we kind of learn a lot about Vortis. And I, I, I will say, I find this interesting, but the, the, it's not dramatized very well. You just kind of get this speech about it. Um, you know, and, it, are, and yeah. it, it doesn't help that 
so the Minotaur are kind of annoying when they talk, and so you get this huge piece of information. <laughs> and you don't want to listen. Delivered by the super annoying voice. Yeah. The zombie were a species that lived in the, live with the Minotaur here. Yeah, but it it is kind of interesting stuff. We're gonna describe what happens here, and you're gonna you're gonna go not you, the listener who decided not to watch this uh, <laughs> along with us uh, on BritBox. By the way, we never we don't we don't make enough uh, we don't point the audience enough to where these episodes are. But um, these are all on BritBox. Um, yeah, basically, the Azarbi uh, and the Minoptera, um lived side by side. Um, for, uh, if not at peace, at least uh, neutrally. Well, they uh, kind of like lived. Yeah, they kind of like, part of an ecosystem. You know. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Until the uh, the animus showed up, and um, basically militarized the Zarbi to like take out the Monoptera, which feels very dickish. <laughs> petty at the very least. Very petty. So the Monoptera bail to like a nearby moon. Because they're getting their asses kicked by the Zarbi. And now basically this is them, they've decided they're going to, they're coming, they're, they're taking their planet back. And that's well, kinda, it's because yeah. they also, they, they're like dying on the moon. Like it's not oh, a right. suitable environment for them. Yeah. So they, they're kind of left with no choice but to try to take the planet back. Yeah. So, um, Preston is sort of a, uh, part of a convoy, um, Basically, they're to help kind of like clear the way for this incoming uh, reclamation invasion. Um, but uh, she was with two others. One of them is dead. One of them is captured. So she's by herself here. Right. Um, again, this all sounds very interesting. But when you just kind of get it as a narrative, because you think, God, you'd almost have to restart this whole thing from the uh, beginning. You'd think you'd almost want to have like one of your one of the characters like be on the moon with them and like kind of see how they're dying and kind of really raise, you know, you establish that. the stakes that way. Another, another thing you could do, uh, and this is something Doctor Who will do in the future, maybe a little bit too much. The Doctor can know these things. The Doctor can be like, oh, the Nopter used to live here, but then uh, the Zarbi turned on them, and you find out later, well, the Zarbi only turned on them because of the Animus or something. Like, you know. Yeah, uh, that would have worked too. Yeah, and so these, these are narrative shortcuts that you know, future episodes will eventually learn. Um, yeah. And, you know, they have to fill six weeks with this one. So this is kind of what happened. Right. And we learn more about the cradle, cradle of needles, crater of needles. Um, basically, the Minoptera get their um, wings pulled off and then get forced to work until they die. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Uh, yeah, it's dark. <laughs> uh and Preston says, I'll show, I'll show you where it is. But um, the Zarbi show up again. Gosh darn it. And um, how, does, how does this cliffhanger? Um, well, they go hide in a cave. And then they slip and fall. And a cave-in happens. Dun-dun. Um, dun-dun-dun. They, they literally <laughs> like, fall into the ground. <laughs> and, yeah, it's not uh, great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Halfway home. Episode four, crater, crater, crater of needles. 
<laughs> we're keeping that in for sure. Um, this is, oh, yeah, this, okay, this is where we learn. This is where we meet. Uh, we have the to do on- this. This is where we learn. Yeah. <laughs> what are they called again? Uh, the Onoptera, right? Like the uh, Monoptera? No, the Optera. It's the Optera. Like you have the Monoptera, and these are just Optera. I can't. They're the, they're the monoptera that were left behind, and they had to stay underground, and they, like, devolved into these <laughs> grunting things. Uh. I, uh, yeah, this is – and even – you know what? This was even – there was a moment of candidness on the uh, special features on this one, too, because um, even uh, <laughs> even Martin Jarvis was um, talking about um, the choices that the leader – the leader grub, the leader Optra had, where he kind of talks like this. And he's like, I don't know that that, that was like the best choice. Um, doesn't seem very leader-like. And I'm like, like Martin, baby, you're dead on. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this, is this is where this whole thing started getting pretty silly to me. Even, even like William Russell, in the, I think he said somewhere in there, he was like, well, we realized we didn't have enough to fill the episode, so we needed to add something else, and they wrote in these things. Oh, maybe it was William Russell who made that comment. It might have, it might have been. I don't quite remember. But, um, yeah, you can. These, this kind of does feel tacked on. Um, and we'll talk about more why later. But we, we could actually not even talk about this, and it doesn't affect the story at all. And the, and the biggest problem is that it kind of makes Ian irrelevant to the story. Yeah. He doesn't really contribute anything here. And so... Um, but we can still talk about these, obviously. But yeah, it's just it's just kind of a we have six episodes to fill. We need something for Ian to do. Here's something. Yeah, it's not it's not wonderful. Um, we should check in on Barbara, who's back from holiday, and uh, right. she's she's at the work camp now. Um, yeah, all of her all of her friend Monopterus, who had briefly considered killing her, are are doing the forced labor and they've had their wings torn off. Ah, nasty. And, um, mm-hmm. again, another info dump. Um, apparently they have enough time to talk about like what they're being asked to do or being forced to do. Um, they're basically, it's a whole bunch of gobbledygook. They're basically taking a material from a stream, you know, one of those streams of acid that we saw earlier and, uh, taking it over to the Zarbi base, which is called the carcinome. And it kind of just, this material just kind of keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, it's basically a way for the animus that I think we're just now learning about to kind of extend its, her power over the, over the planet of Vortis. Is that about right? Yeah. Great. Um, Monoptera, and I guess this is where we learned that Monoptera at one point was trying to save the army from the animus, but just, they kind of end up getting their asses handed to them as a result. Um, I mean, it's difficult to uh, to save someone when they're constantly kicking your ass. So, yeah, and it's it's interesting because this is it's a note somewhere that I read that this kind of what drew them to this, this story idea was um they're trying to drop kind of a parallel to socialism, I guess, with like you know um, workers being oppressed and all that. I don't I don't see any of that really. <laughs> Traumatized at all? <laughs> in the show. Uh, no, not not at all. Uh, and if it's there, it's a very muddled metaphor. <laughs> or, yeah. or yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I I was surprised when I saw that too. 
to the point where I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even really know if I know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, but back at the base, um, we got the doctor and Vicky. Uh, basically, the doctor says we're going to use this fighter to get out of here. Um, we get more again. Vicky gets mind harnessed, which I feel like this is like the second time it's happened to her, but maybe it's the first. <laughs> Um, so many mind harnessing things in the serial. That's the thing, man. Um, and the animus is basically um, coming back to the doctor and going to a status report. And um, he gives a little. He gives a little bit of information because again, this is where he learns that the uh, Monoptera are foraging a uh, invasion. All he says is that they're forming on the planet Pictos. He doesn't say anything more than that. The animus is kind of wary and just says, "I'll kill Vicky if." Um, you don't tell us more soon, right? And so he's like, he's like, string him along because he knows where the Monoptera are at this point, and he knows the attack is imminent, and right. he's just trying not to give that information to the um, to the to the animus, right? And when we go back to the crater of needles, this is um, you know, basically they know enough now that they can kind of plan and defend themselves against a Monoptera attack, which kind of screws up the whole plan, because the whole point was to kick them by surprise. So that's, right. so that's, that's out the window. Barbara and her other Monoptera, who all have names, I refuse to try to pronounce them. <laughs> yeah, that's not important. Yeah. They say, okay, we're just going to bust out here. Um, they uh, overpower one of the Zarbies. Uh <laughs> They grab themselves some something that's called a larvae gun, and uh, I don't remember how that comes in at all. Sorry, everybody. Um, basically, they break free of their quarters. Well, they, use, they use a larvae gun to like kind of like stage revolt in the crater of needles. Got it. Uh, Monoptera now have been warned that hey, the Zarbi know you're coming. They're they they freed themselves. Right. Uh, and this is kind of okay. This was kind of interesting. I wish they had done more of it. The doctor uh, is inspecting the harness, the the brainwashing harness, and discovers it's made entirely of gold. I go back to Ian's pen. Right. Which yeah, why Ian had a why Ian had a golden pen? I'm not sure, but nonetheless, it goes back to Ian's pen. Because he's a pimp. That's why. <laughs> um, uh, so she figures out that there must be a way I can use this to overpower, um, you know, our oppressors here. Um, something must be controlling the gold. If I figure out how to, you know, negate that force, we could we could have the advantage again. Right. Um, but again, more negotiation between the doctor and the animus. Um, the doctor's trying to bullshit and bullshit her a little bit. A um, lot, yes. Uh, a lot. And the animus says, I can get equi- I can get the info that I need from the equipment now anyway. Um, figures out where the Monoptera is going, and then says, alright, I'm going to kill you and Vicky. <laughs> well, yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, like, the radio goes off while they're talking, uh, and what I actually thought was kind of a cool... One, one of the things I liked about it, like, the doctor was bullshitting her, and then, like, the radio went off. <laughs> yeah, he overplays, <laughs> he overplays his hand, which feels... He, over, he overplays his hand, yeah. Which feels... Uh, Again, in character, we remember from the Romans. Um, he did that quite right. a bit. Okay, so then we got more. We got more grub business here. Um, yeah, we don't have. There's just 
Do we they need were to thinking, talk about them? Yeah. I mean, they were just going to kill them. They're like, should we kill them? Outsiders are dangerous. And then they're like, <laughs> like uh, you have to go to the surface. It used to be like a like the Monoptra. Like, don't you want to try? And then they're like, okay. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's really weak. And it was just a yeah. way to kill 10 minutes of a 20-minute episode. Um, the Monoptra invasion forces landed. Barbara and her Monoptra looked low. Hey. They know you're coming. It's too late. They get slaughtered. Helio, played by um, our, our, our favorite our, uh, the, the, uh, Martin Jarvis. Uh, he shows up and gets everyone to retreat. And then we have another kind of um, not, not great cliffhanger. Um, basically, um, <laughs> uh, Barbara falls and a Zarbi kind of looms over her and then we that's it for this week right so for this, yeah for this action sequence i kind of felt for richard martin because he had like guys on strings he wanted like the fight between the monopsia and the zarbi but the uh, zarbi is they're just plastic ants so they can't do anything right. so there's a whole bunch of running and like it's just like chaos and then like different different cuts trying to make it look like the zarbi are attacking i he did the best he could with it yeah, it, it's not it's not as bad um, when you actually watch it. Um, it's not terrible. I thought the flying I mean, effects were okay. I mean, it, it kind of is terrible, but it, it's the best they could do in it's this situation. A, it's, a, it's a charming kind of terrible. Yeah. So, uh, let's, all right, episode five. Let's go. Come on, I, I can see the uh, I can see the light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel here. Invasion. Okay. Uh. Weak cliffhanger resolution. Is Barbara going to get killed by the Zarbi? No. <laughs> no, she just didn't. She just gets up and leaves. Yeah. Um, they, uh, Barbara and, um, <laughs> again, uh, these, uh, uh, the names are Frostar and Propylus. <laughs> so you do something with that. Okay. Um, they're in the, um, they find themselves in the Temple of Light. Which is uh, basically just like a series of underground temples that is underneath all of Vortis, um, which is kind of a cool concept. They run into Helio and the Helenia, and <laughs> going crazy. Um, <laughs> they kind of talk about you know they're not necessarily creatures of war, um, and it's kind of on Barbara to kind of get them into a warring mindset. And right. um, did you actually figure out what their plan was? Um, they have this device called the isotope, not an isotope. Isotope. <laughs> it's sci-fi, so you have to say it differently. It's very good. Um, it's basically it almost feels like a almost like the Minotaur version of like an EMP device or something. It basically just like, but like for like living cells instead of like electricity. You set it off, it kind of just like takes out everything around it. Is that about right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Don't really, and I don't really think they explained all that well. It's just the thing that will kill the animus, you know? Yeah. Oh, more specifically, the um, the devices that it does use. Again, it's a little vague. Um, basically, it'll destroy the animus's power. Um, right. And when we go back to the carcinome, we kind of learn the. Uh, Kind of the fruits of um, 
the doctor's investigation of the uh, mind harness, uh, it appears that Vicky is under the uh, power of the mind harness again. Um, except she's not, because it turns out the doctor figured out a way to, um, as you as you claimed, um, kind of uh, fight off the force that was controlling the gold, and the uh, mind harness is now useless. Do they explain how he does this? I do not. It was a, it was in the last episode. So like when he like exploded the equipment, it's because he was running an experiment to like neutralize it. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And and but this is when Hero was first put to the test, and it did work. Um, there is a kind of there is kind of a cool moment here because um, there is one functioning harness, and um, <laughs> these are their advantage. And uh, what do they do with it? <laughs> they put on a Zarbi, and then the doctor uses his magic ring, uh, which they intentionally don't explain, and they actually kind of make a big deal about not explaining it. And I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, more more stuff like that. <laughs> Um, uh, but the doctor used uh, basically a magic ring he has um, to con- to control the harness uh, on the on the Zarbi. Love it, and um, I don't remember exactly where it shows up, but it has to be soon. Uh, I kind of like that Vicky kind of takes it on as a pet, kind of. <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's very in character with her, you know. She, yeah. She's, uh, back in the rescue, and here she's doing it again. Yeah, I really, I really, really did like that. Um. More op, more op, ter- more optra stuff. Um, uh, so, okay, here's one optra thing I did like. Okay, okay. I'm gonna send this. Okay, so they're they're like trying to go to the animus from beneath. They're they're taking uh, Ian and his monoptra friend um, to, to go, but it's dangerous under the ground, right? I mean, because they have rivers of acid, so it's, it's dangerous. And so they were like digging through it, and and one of the Optra uh, accidentally like hits like a pocket of acid, and so she like drops on that grenade. Like she immediately like dives into it to plug it up, and like Ian's like wants to stop her, and the like, other guy like keeps him. It's like uh, I, I like it was this weird like like honor in the Optra, like like practicality as well. You know, there's nothing you could have done to save her, but they know that. It's the most important thing to do is to stop that acid leak and so you can save other people. They do play a little bit with the kind of like almost like worker drone kind of B thing of it's like the objective is, yeah, as you say, um, stop the acid. So there's not even a thought. It's not even, not even heroism or altruism really. It's just, I'm, this is what I, I this is what we do. <laughs> right, right, right. And again, it's interesting because it is actual characterization, uh, which we don't get a I'm lot the... of with the Optra. No, not really. Uh, and that's pretty much all I think we had for Ian and the Optra in that one pretty much. Yeah. Um, um, Barbara, Ian, and Vicky are all about to meet up again. Barbara... Um, not Ian. You mean uh, the Doctor. The Doctor. Of course I do. Uh, that's right. uh, that's so, my, my fault. Talk about... Yeah, we should talk about... Yeah, so they use the controlled Zarbi to escape because it looks like the Zarbi's escorting them around. And the Zarbi aren't the smartest, so they kind of don't question things. And they just kind of saunter to the crater, crater of Needle. Yeah. They're all together. This is where we get another kind of info dump. We learn that the Animus is in the center of the planet, draws its powers from the magnetic poles. Kind of sounds... Kind of, Animus is kind of... She get together with the uh, Daleks. This kind of sounds like their plan. <laughs> yeah, kind of similar, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this is so this is this 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 magnetic pull, this power. This is why this 
explains why the TARDIS was forced to land there. So the plan is um, the Doctor is going to take the isotope and uh, use it to destroy the Animus himself with it. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. It kind of sets up a showdown between the Doctor and the Animus, which makes sense. Um, right. With everything that we've had set up so far. Um, but Doctor kind of end up weaponizing the Zarbi for their um, for their battle, which feels more, uh, feels a little sketchy. Um, I guess it's okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I know it's supposed to be like them working together, but the Zarbi is kind of, they're also under kind of like a mind control. which feels weird. Yeah, you kind of do what you got to do. You know, I yeah. mean. You got to win, right? Yeah. And the, believe it or not, they kind of gets us this episode kind of went by fast. Um, it kind of gets us to the cliffhanger here, and I don't know if you want to describe that one. I do think this is kind of a cool image. Yeah, so... Um, they, you know, they, they're going back to Carson to put their plan into place. Uh, you know, of course, the Doctor and uh, Vicky will go in and make a... Um, make a kind of distraction that'll allow oh no no that's right they're gonna make a distraction outside and then allow Vicky and the bark and Vicky and the doctor to use the ISOP tope. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Alright, and so they, they go in and the animus is not having it with them. Like he's like, I'm tired of your bullshit and then just like immediately like put puts them in a web like puts a bunch of like a squirts of web on them and like freezes them. Yep, that's exactly right. And then so that's the kind of you know, it's kind of a creepy image yeah. for the Yeah. I, 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 I will give them credit. It's a good image. Um which brings us to the final episode of the Web Planet, the center. And of course another kind of um underwhelming co- um cliffhanger resolution. They're just freed from mm-hmm. the web. Right, pretty much. Uh, so something, something I do want to mention, I don't know quite when to throw this in there. So in the Doctor Who extended media, uh-huh. uh, which, again, it's only canon if you want it to be. There is no Doctor Who canon. But in the Doctor Who extended media, they do say that the Animus is a great old one. And are you familiar with so the H.P. Lovecraft kind of mythos? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay. And so... Um, yeah, some some doctor, some some extended universe writers decide to connect the animus to the H.P. Lovecraft great old ones and decide that the animus is one of those. I can kind of see it. I can kind of right, see well, it. Right. Well, it's this, uh, and so I just thought that was a little interesting tidbit, which again is not on screen. It's and if you don't like it, you can ignore it and decide it's not the case. But you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, agreed. And um, I will say that the design of the Animus, I think, is fairly successful. Um, it's cheap looking, but um, I, do, I do think it's the closest the show gets to kind of illustrating a bigger idea in a bigger scope than almost anything else in this run of episodes. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I do, I, I'm, not, I'm not an unfair judge. Um, <laughs> So the Animus basically says, um, I have no use for the Doctor anymore, except for your brain. Um, so we're going to take you to the center of the carcinome and meet the Animus. Well, and of course, uh, Vicky hid the isotope 
right before yeah and so they don't even have the the weapon with them correct um so the clock's ticking barbara and the uh, zarabi and the monoptera are doing their creating their distraction mm-hmm. so that's all going okay um but yeah and they, yeah then they break in and of course the doctor and vicky is the animus is just too powerful right, right. it's just they're completely mesmerized they're being like absorbed by the animus yeah like it like wraps its tentacles around them and just kind of starts sucking the life out of them. Um, mm-hmm. just like, um, you know, we should check in with um, Ian and his um, married and so they're, players. They're under, they're under the animus now. Like they're they're below it, and mm-hmm. so so they're climbing up, trying to get to the animus from beneath. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, and then Barbara and her group, they bust in looking for some Zarbies when one of them finds the isotope. Uh, right. And some of them were killed. I, I can't tell them, I couldn't yeah. tell you which one was killed. And this, but... and this was kind of another weak battle sequence. It didn't look great. Yeah. A lot of it didn't look great. And I think to describe, <laughs> again, to describe these episodes, it sounds like there's a lot going on in I think to describe them is more fun than actually watching them. Because when you watch a lot of these scenes, they all sound great. But when you watch them, like you almost can't tell what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's just a, a bunch of yeah, a bunch of action or not even action, just a bunch of movement. It's movement. It's not action. I think that's a great distinction to make. Um, so yeah, so they figure, okay, we found the isotope. If it's here, it's not with the doctor. They must have been taken somewhere. Um, so they pretty quickly find them at the center of the carcinome, and they're mm-hmm. they're taking they're they're taking the animus kind of seems like it's going to win here for a second because uh, she she's she blocks the use of the isotope, um, she overpowers um, the monoptera. <laughs> it's not great, but then nope. who gets to save the day? Barbara, uh, because. The, the, so the one place that Ian does come in is he finally breaks through from the knees and he's like, hey, Barbara, and the <laughs> animus distracted. <laughs> and Barbara uses this, quick thinking, she uses this distraction to use the isotope and kill the animus. Beautiful. Bring it, buddy. And uh, now, uh, yeah, Ian, you know, when we do our uh, when we do our season two rankings, his uh, his MP his MVP stock has dropped pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, yeah, and and something I did think was interesting because they had um Verity Lambert talking in the in the um in the special features, and she was talking about how like she liked that Barbara saved the day, and that it made sense because she was a, a capable person and a capable. You know, she was a school teacher. She was intelligent, and and I and I do have to wonder, you know, if if part of the reason why Barbara is such a strong character and so has such a strong characterization is because you had a producer like Verity Lambert, where um, you know, you know, yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Um, and I will say, because we're we're at the last scene here, and I I don't know where else to put this. Um, I had sort of assumed this last episode, and I think you could have had this balance of action but also kind of a um pointed conversation i know that doesn't sound very 
um, finale-esque, but um, I kind of thought this was going to lead down to like a, a final confrontation of words between the Animus and um, the Doctor. It kind of seemed like that's where it was leading. But instead, the Doctor and Vicky are just like immediately taken out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's really, it's really disappointing. And I get it, the Animus is super powerful, but it, it was unsatisfying. That, yeah. At least the, the Doctor convincing the Animus or having outwitting the Animus or something yeah. would have been more satisfying than just it's too powerful for everybody but briefly gets distracted by Ian and dies. Yeah, exactly. You could have had like kind of a Doctor Strange-esque ending, you know, the 2016 film where, you know, the Doctor kind of annoys Dormammu to death. <laughs> you know, you could have had something similar to that. And Barbara still could have saved the day, you know. I think you could have had your cake and eat it too in this case. But, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> speaking of cake, uh, the, 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 the planet of Vortis is... Uh, Probably going to need one soon because uh, they have a lot to celebrate for. I, I brought it back, baby. I did it. No, you did. It was seamless. <laughs> seamless. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the, water, the water is no longer acid. It's water. Um, <laughs> seems, there was kind of a nice – again, I don't think we talked enough about like the kind of the feel. There's a spacey feel to this whole series that I did kind of like. Um, it it – did kind of make it feel like it's dragging a little bit because you know it's very um, slow. But I think in moments like this, at the very end, I think it um, plays with advantage because you do kind of get like this kind of like you do feel like you're watching like this like space like you do feel like you're on another planet. Fair enough. In the beginning and the end, I think it worked. There's just kind of the, a lot of stuff in the middle. Yeah, it, it lost its kind of charm. Agreed. But the planet of Vortis is saved. Um, our, our, our heroes did it. Um, the, Ian kind of gives the Doctor crap about the tie again, which I liked. <laughs> um, and they kind of move along. There's not really a cliffhanger here. It kind of seems like it just stopped. Well, right. And, uh, yeah, there's no cliffhanger. Um, and so I know you like it when the serials really connect to each other, but this is not a case where it doesn't. Um, and that's probably fine. I think if you're going to... If you're going to do a hard stop but this is probably the best way to do it it's just right the end we ran the series over and and this is kind of where the extended universe lives you know uh in between this episode and the crusades i guarantee you there's a whole bunch of like story short stories books audio stories uh with this tardis crew doing stuff you know yeah i think that's great um you know, there's sort of an open-endedness to the show. I mean, they all talk about adventures that we don't get to see, and I think that's it's a very fertile ground for fan fiction and extended universe stuff. I think it's wonderful. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of the Crusades, um, we close the book here on the Black Planet. About- <laughs> well, you met, well, you mentioned the Crusades very. Uh, you, I did. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay, yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, that that brings us to the end of the Web Planet. And into next week's serial, The Crusades. Any sort of pre-hashing we want to do there before we call it a night? Well, we we got a we got another historical here, you know, as you can imagine with the name like Crusades. Like it could have been a Space Crusade, but <laughs> sure. being Doctor Who, they probably would have called it Space Crusade. So uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we got Crusades. Uh, so this this next serial probably has the biggest guest star we've had thus far. As far as when you when you look at his acting resume and some of the things he's done after 
doing this doctor the next doctor serial he's a pretty you know he's pretty recognizable face i would argue in a lot of popular fiction that's fantastic uh and yeah so we got another historical one four episodes uh we bring back david whitaker's writing it so our old script editor is coming back to contribute some more scripts uh and so that's i think that's all the prehashing i want to do sounds good um that sounds very positive i think I, th- I think we're going to have a much easier time with it uh, next week. Oh, I should, I should mention, I'm sorry. This is not on BritBox. Uh, we have the, right. We have the only incomplete serial of season two, which leads many fans to wonder, why hasn't this one been animated yet? Because it has not been animated. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, you know, no one's exactly sure, but there's just some possible reasons. Um, yeah, I but, would like to know, yeah. Uh, but so... You can you can find the reconstructions for Loose Cannon on Daily Motion. That's how we're going to watch the missing episodes. Uh, and the, unfortunately, the episodes that do remain are not on BritBox. Uh, they were released on DVDs. What, what they did basically is all the they call fanbase calls them orphan episodes, episodes that exist but we don't have the complete serial for. Okay. And they basically just like released them all on a DVD box set and called they called it Lost in Time. Uh, uh, okay. And so they just kind of released them all together and just like, if you're interested, here are the ones. And they, and what they would sometimes do too is kind of like have one of the actors record like a synopsis or something. Um, Got it. Uh, but yeah, and so uh, those episodes are, are available, but um, you kind of got to track them down. And then you have Loose Cannon doing the reconstruction of the missing episodes. Our old friends at Loose Cannon. Um... Yeah, uh, it should be a it should be a fun week ahead. Uh, sounds like a fun, really fun premise for a serial. Looking forward to it. Uh, in the meantime, if you like what you heard, go ahead and uh, tell all your friends. Rate us on whatever podcatcher you happen to enjoy. And you can be honest; you won't hurt our feelings. Well, you, you probably could hurt our feelings if you tried, but um, so please don't. Um, oh, um, before we sign off. Um, our, our, our life lesson for the week. What have we learned? I'll tell you what I learned. Um, if you borrow someone's school tie, um, A, don't dump it in acid. <laughs> B, if you must dip it in acid, you could at least give it back. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, rules of etiquette in Doctor Who here. Yeah, you know what I mean? There's always, there's always something to learn here uh, in classic Doctor Who. There's always something to learn here with pop culture historians. That is us. I am me. I am Ryan. That is Jimmy. And um, see y'all next week.